We are continuing in our look at 1 Corinthians 13. And of course, the, the title of the series, What Our Hearts Need Now, is a play on a song of many years ago, What the World Needs Now. Well, the words, I love you, can mean many different things to many different people. Uh, it can be talking about one's complete and total devotion to the person you love, the words can also be used to manipulate people into getting what you want. Uh, a lot of different things about it. But today, our purpose, uh, what we're going to try to do today is look at love's true nature. Uh, not from the worldly perspective, but from the perspective of the Word of God itself. Trying to understand what God has to say about love. And one of the things that we will notice about this concept of love as we look at the Word, and we just kind of think about it as it's played out throughout God's Word, is that the power of love is very amazing. It is transformative. It changes people. It moves people. And I want to share with you two stories that point out exactly what I mean. James Heffley wrote about the experience of Wycliffe translator Doug Meland and his wife when they moved to the village a village in Brazil's Fonilio in Indians. Uh, when they first arrived, Milan was referred to simply as the white man. And folks, that wasn't meant as a complimentary term because many different white men had burned the natives' homes. They had exploited them, uh, robbed them of their lands. But after the Milans learned the Fonilio language uh, and began to help people with medicine and different kinds of ways of, of reaching out to them, they began calling Doug the respectable night man. And then, one day, as Doug was, uh, as, he, as they both began to embrace the culture of the Fulneo Indians, it gave them greater acceptance, and they started referring to Doug as the white Indian. And then finally, one day, Doug was washing the dirty, blood-caked feet of an injured Fulneo boy, and he overheard a bystander say, whoever heard of a white man washing an Indian's feet? He said, certainly, this man is from God. And from that day on, whenever Doug would go into the, an Indian home, it would be announced, here comes the man God sent us. The power of love. And James Hewitt, told about a little boy who was told by his doctor that he could save his sister's life by giving her some blood. She had a disease and was near death, and the only hope the doctor saw is if she could get a transfusion from someone who had had the disease and overcame it, and lo and behold, her older brother Johnny was such a person. And they had a rare blood type, so he was a perfect match. So the doctor looks at Johnny and says, Johnny, would you like to give your blood to your, for Mary? And Johnny hesitated a moment, and his lip began to tremble. And then he smiled and said, sure, doctor, I'll give my blood for my sister. So the two are taken into the room, and the process has begun. Neither of them are speaking. But when their eyes met, Johnny smiled at his sister. And he, he watched the procedure as his blood was siphoned into her arms. You could almost see 
wife coming back into this little girl. And this robust young man was giving of himself. The ordeal was almost over. And Johnny's brave little voice broke the silence. And he said, say, doctor, when do I die? And it was at that moment the doctor understood the hesitation, understood the trembling lip. Little Johnny actually thought that in giving his blood to his sister, he was giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he made his great decision. I die for my little sister. The power of love is amazing. Particularly so when it's a self-sacrificing love. When it is giving of our hearts and our lives in a powerful and moving way. So we're going to take a look at what Paul had to say about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. through 7. Would you please stand as we hear the word of God together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. Hear the word of the Lord. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God bless the reading of his word. When Paul wrote this, he described love. He told what love was like in a very powerful way. And when we look at what Paul is having to say to us today, we will discover that Christ-like love, the love that we are called we are commanded to have for one another. It's all about building each other up. So we're going to jump into it and take a look at the way Paul painted a picture. He doesn't actually define love here, but he paints its portrait. And the very first thing I want you to do is listen to a powerful description of love. A powerful description. And Paul does something here. And I don't know if all the preachers learned it from Paul, but it's done a lot. He's going to look at things both from a positive perspective and a negative perspective. Paul described love positively and negatively. And the positive aspect is very brief. Paul begins with a short, succinct statement on the positive nature of love. And the very first thing he says, when he focused, uh, that love is patient. And this is a word, this particular word for patience, is a word that focuses on patience with people. Uh, We'll deal with the idea of patience with circumstances later on in the text. But here he's talking about patience with people. Chrysostom, a, a Christian order, orator of many, many centuries ago. Oh, by the way, how's this? His name he was given, Chrysostom? Uh, It means golden-mouthed. That's a pretty good name for a preacher, isn't it? Golden-mouthed. 
Uh, and, and he said, this kind of patience is the patience of a man who has been wronged and has in it in his power to get revenge. But he's going to choose not to do so. And Harry Emerson Fosdick painted a beautiful picture of this kind of love when he talked about Abraham Lincoln. He said, no one treated Lincoln with more disdain than Edwin Stanton. During Lincoln's run for office, Stanton called Lincoln a low, cunning clown. He nicknamed him the original gorilla and said that Paul Duchalieu, an uh, anthropologist and biologist, was wasting his time wandering out around Africa trying to capture a gorilla when all he had to do was go to Springfield, Illinois. And Lincoln did not reply. He never lashed back. The Civil War began. And when Lincoln finally settled on a Secretary of War, it was none other than Edwin Stanton. And Lincoln's advisors couldn't believe it. They thought, this is, this is crazy. Haven't you been listening to what he said about you? Haven't you heard what he's been saying? And he said, yes, I've heard him. But as I looked around the country, he was the best man for the job. And so he chose him. And every day he treated Stanton with courtesy, with kindness. The years wore on until finally on a fateful night in Ford's Theater, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln took place. And in the little room to which the president's body was taken, there was standing Stanton. He looked down on Lincoln's silent face and said through tears in his eyes, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. He later said, now Lincoln belongs to the ages. Love is patient. Love looks at each other and, and doesn't lash out. Paul says that love is kind. And this speaks of spontaneous goodness. Just reaching out for the good. You don't really take a lot of time to think about it. You don't take a lot of time, should I, shouldn't I. You see a need and you respond with goodness. And it's been pointed out, patience is self-restraint. Patience is, I'm not going to do to you what I want to do to you. Good Kindness is goodness self-expressed. It's a goodness that is action. Now he says two good things about love and then launches into a longer discussion from a negative perspective. But the very last thing, he will add one good note. From a negative perspective. And he said of love, it does not envy. And folks, this is talking about jealousy. Looking at what others have and saying, not only do they not deserve it, I should have it. It is jealous. And folks, the Corinthian church was filled with jealousy. They were fighting all the time. Who has the best gift? Who follows the best teacher? Who is the best and godliest person here? Filled with jealousy. He goes on to say, love does not boast. Playing the braggart. And I love uh, Raymond Brown talks about people who boast all the time. People who brag all the time. And he says, a person is boastful when he lacks a sense of proportion. 
Have you ever met somebody that you're convinced when they were a little child, mom and daddy said, you're the best thing on earth, you're the best little kid that's ever been, you're wonderful, you're great, you're precious, you're... and they believed it. And so they spend their life telling everybody how good they are. He said, love is not arrogant. And it, it's, he uses a word that talks about being inflated with pride. Literally a word that means to be puffed up. You know, put out that chest and walk with a straight posture and show everybody what a great person you are. Uh, he uses this word puffed up in two other places in Corinthians. You may want to check those verses out. Chapter 4, verse 6, and chapter 8, verse 1. But William Barclay described Napoleon Bonaparte, and this is probably one of the best examples of human arrogance I've ever read. He said of Bonaparte, Napoleon always advocated the sanctity of the home and the obligation of public worship for others. Of himself, he said, I am not a man like other men. The laws of immorality do not apply to me. How's that for arrogance? It is not rude. The idea carries it with being ill-mannered, shameful, acting unseemly. Um... It is the kind of Christianity uh, that Barclay describes that takes the delight in being blunt almost to the point of brutal. You wore that dress to church today? That kind of just rudeness uh, and, and mean-spiritedness. Paul goes on to say, it does not assist on its own way. This is all about self-assertion. This is all about thinking of me. Me first. I have to be the one who wins. I have to be the one who is right. I have to get my way. And someone has said it would be, it would be the key to almost all of the problems in this world that surround us if men would think less about their rights and more about their duties. Not I deserve this, but what can I do for others for the better? Of their lives. And then it is not irritable. The idea it's not. It doesn't seek to provoke. It doesn't. It doesn't look for a fight. Do you remember the kid on the playground. Who would walk around almost challenging everybody. You know draw a line in the sand with his foot. Dare you to cross that line. You know I dare you to do this. And just all the time. Poking and poking. Uh, being cruel and unkind. It is not resentful. Doesn't hold grudges. Doesn't it feel like there are people in your life from time to time, the minute you do something wrong, out comes the notepad, they flip it open. On March the 12th, Danny did this. And underline it three or four times and put it back in their pocket. And they're never without their book of grudges. Love isn't resentful. It takes no joy, Paul says, in wrongdoing. But then he says, it takes joy in truth. 
So when he says it's not resentful, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, what it's saying is not only does it not live to point out the mistakes of other people, but secretly within its mind, it says, if I could do that and get away with it, I would. When Jesus had the woman taken in adultery, thrown at him and said, what do we do with her, stoner or a forgiver? And Jesus bends down and starts I like one guy's description, doodling in the dirt, which really got the, the guys upset. We're talking to you. Tell us what you think. And he's just doodling. Someone speculated he was writing out things like lust, anger. We don't know what he was writing. But he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And it could be translated, you who are without the same sin. You who have harbored lust in your heart. Feel free, throw a rock. And when he looks up, they're all gone. Love takes its joy in doing the right thing. Love takes its joy in following the truth. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice in it. But it wants to do what is right. Now, with these descriptions, something important happens here. With these descriptions, we have a moving portrait of our Lord. I want to share with you what was once shared, and I, and I don't even remember the first time it happened, but a long time ago, somebody took me to 1 Corinthians and suggested I, I do a rereading of the text with a slight variation and listen to what they said that will help drive it home. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You see, these descriptions of love paint a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great Christian devotionalist, Oswald Chambers, said, There's only one being who loves perfectly, and that is God. Then he points out the New Testament distinctly states that we are to love as God loves. So the first step is obvious. If ever we are going to have perfect love in our hearts, we must have the very nature of God within us. Surely, if we love like this, if we have this kind of love, We are most like our Father in heaven. We are like the Son who gave his life to redeem us. This is this description of what love should be. What love is meant to be. Let's look at the rest of the text. Verse 7. We are to follow the pattern Jesus set for us. And I've just jumped ahead a little bit. When When we are doing what Jesus has told us to do. We see the picture. We see his, his move. We follow him. How can I love like this? Only by being surrendered to the love of God in Christ. How can we love in this manner? We have to yield our desire into the hands to bear the wounds of Calvary. So today, 
I'm asking you right now, don't wait for an invitation. Right now, commit yourself. Lord, help me to love like this. Cause me to love like this. There is a world that is hurting so badly. Let me show them what love is. Now we take a look at the rest of the text. And we move from a description. Rejoice in the promises of love. Paul moved from his negative descriptions about love to something very positive. Now, the reality is, folks, yes, he had a couple of positive statements. But overall, Paul's descriptions of love are in the negative, aren't they? He tells us what they don't do. It's been speculated maybe Paul was doing this to drive something home to the, the Corinthians. You see, everything that they were supposed to be doing, they were not. So Paul addresses love, does not do everything you're doing. And so now he moves into positive statements and promise. And some have suggested, Paul may be getting a little personal here. Perhaps he is wanting them to see. This is a little bit autobiographical. The love that you've been seeing me give to you is the love that God wants for us. So one of the promises of God about love, God says love bears all things. In other words, it doesn't give up. It bears all things. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12, Paul Paul is talking about in chapter 9 about the ox is worthy of its hire and, and, and and it's, it's okay for ministers to receive money for doing the work that they studied and, and all that kind of stuff. But he says, I didn't want to be a burden to you. I did not want to be a stumbling block. I didn't want anybody to think I was a prophet for hire. So in chapter 9, verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. I am going to bear with this burden. I not only am got to teach you, I've got to make tents. And I'm going to do that so that the gospel will be heard and no one will accuse me of something else. And then he says, love believes all things. And the focus here is love doesn't lose its trust. Love keeps trusting. This points to the idea that love tries to see the best in others. It doesn't mean that love is gullible. It doesn't mean that love thinks everybody is going to hold hands and sing kumbaya and hug each other. But it's saying love refuses to see the worst of humanity. Love trusts that even the hardest-hearted sinner touched by the grace of God, could become a child of God. And I trust in what God can do. And my love keeps me going. And this may be the most personal note of all. Love hopes all things. It does not give up. Uh, David Garland has pointed something out about the Corinthian correspondence. Uh, There were actually at least three letters to Corinth. One was written to Paul. He's responding. 
There is also, he makes a letter that we don't know where it exists anymore. So as many as four. But the point, Garland explains, Paul also uses hope language to express optimism about his churches. Now, if you have read First and Second Corinthians, you may be wondering, what do you mean optimism? There is not much optimistic in those books. Uh, this may be second to Galatians, the toughest letter that Paul writes. But listen, Garland argues, as the relationship with Corinth gets rockier, Paul keeps firing off letters to the Corinthians because he does not believe they're a hopeless case. He loves them and he's confident there will come a point in time they will reform. I just believe you'll hear God and you'll respond. And I'm hoping for that. And then he says, love endures all things. And, and it carries the idea of steadfastness. And here, we're talking about patience focused on circumstance. You've gotten your third diagnosis of COVID in two years. You've, uh, you've got a bank loan coming in and you don't know where the money is coming from. And you're just all shattered. He says, love keeps holding on. And it's not about patient resistance. Have you ever met the version of the martyr who says, well, I just put up with the tough life God gives me and I'm just resigned that my life will be miserable for the rest of my life. No. This endurance is active. It, it is active in the face of tough times. Love enables you to press on. Love enables you not to give up. Now Morris points out it's the soldier in the thick of battle who is not dismayed but continues struggling, fighting to win the day. Love is not overwhelmed, Morris says, but manfully plays it part whatever the difficulty. What does all this mean, these promises? It means the love we find in Christ will enable us to face anything the world can face at, throw our way. When we disappoint each other, and folks, we will disappoint each other. We're human beings. and There will be times we don't live up to each other's expectations. And that's a reality we've got to see and understand. But love, if we love in this manner, it can bring us to healing. It can bring us to restoration and reconciliation. When it seems that the darkness of the world is going to just crush us, that Christianity is doomed, that there's no hope, the world is horrible, evil, and nothing can change it, love can lead us to trust the Word of God when it says the darkness will not overcome the light. When failure seems inevitable because so many churches are fighting and battling, it gives us hope that maybe Christians can forgive each other and find a way to work together. And when struggle persists, love gives us strength to stand firm and never give up. You see, in the end, people, what we're trying to understand here, we are called to live victoriously in this world through the practice of love. 
And when I talk about love here, I am not talking about sentimental Hallmark, and I know a lot of you love Hallmark cards, so forgive me, but uh, sentimentality and, and all these bubbly feelings. Uh, Paul McCartney said that after the Beatles broke up and he formed his band Wings, John Lennon kind of chewed him out and said, you're not writing anything with, with meaning anymore. You're not writing anything with guts and toughness. You need, to, you need to get back. You need to quit writing all these sappy songs, all these silly love songs. So Paul McCartney went in and, and, and quickly wrote silly love songs. Some people say the world is filled with silly love songs. What's wrong with that? I'd like to know. Uh, folks, it's not a silly little love song where, where we just think everything's great. Do you remember the, the Coca-Cola commercial? I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Coke is going to bring us together. Someone said, not me. Barks root beer maybe? Dr. Pepper, but Coke is going to get hundreds of people standing on a hillside holding hands, singing in low. It's not that. And it's not the fairy tale happily ever after that love says everybody will always get along and there'll never be problems. And folks, there have been a lot of marriages really messed up because the, the Prince Charming all of a sudden has dents in his armor and it's just not what he thought. It's a victory that comes from knowing we're loved by God. It's a victory that comes in knowing we can walk in love with each other. Because of the love of Christ that is in us and moving us and touching us and reaching us can help us to keep pressing on. An article in the Roanoke Times, April 8, 2000, told the following story. Talk about the power of love. See, on April 6 of 2000, Ricky and Tony Sexton were taken hostage in, inside their Withville, Virginia home by a fugitive couple that were on a crime speed. Tony had taken her poodle outside when Dennis Lewis, 37, and Angela, 20, Tanner, 20, roared into their driveway, pointed pistols at her, and yelled at her to get back inside the house. Inside the house, the Sextons did something amazing. They turned their hostage opportunity experience into an opportunity to demonstrate Christian love. This couple, with guns pointed at them, listened to the captors' troubles. They fed them. They showed them Christian videos. They read to them from the Bible. Prayed and cried with them. And during negotiations, and folks, this is love to an extreme, whole new idea, laying down his life for his friends, Ricky Sexton refused his own release when Lewis and Tanner suggested they might end the standoff by committing suicide. He would not leave. But the standoff did have an unusual ending. Before surrendering to the police, Angela Tanner left $135 and a note for the Sextons that read, Thank you for your hospitality. 
We really appreciate it. Wish all luck and love. Please accept this. It really is all we have to offer. Love, Angela and Dennis. I'm not telling you that love will soothe every problem that comes your way. I'm not saying that love, everybody will hug and, and make up. But when we love with the love of Christ, there are many out there who are hurting, who are broken, who may find hope that they didn't dream possible. There's a song by Casting Crowns who was playing earlier this morning. One of the most deeply moving songs I've ever read that asks some tough questions for us. She is running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. She's been, she is trying, but the canyon's ever widening in the depths of her cold heart. So she sets out on another misadventure just to find she's another two years older and she's three more steps behind. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see or does anybody even know she's going down today? Under the shadow of our steeple with all the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? She is yearning for shelter and affection that she never found at home. She is searching for a hero to ride in, to ride in and save the day. And in walks her Prince Charming, and he knows just what to say. Momentary lapse of reason, and she gives herself away. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? Or does anybody even know she's going down today? Under the shadow of our steeple with the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me, does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? If judgment looms under every steeple, if lofty glances from lofty people can't see past her scarlet letter, and we never even met her. If judgment looms under every steeple, if lofty glances from lofty people can't see past her scarlet letter, and we never even met her, never even met her, does anybody hear her? Does anybody see or does anybody even know she's going down today? Under the shadow of our steeple with all the lost and lonely people searching for the love that's tucked away in you and me. Does anybody hear her? Does anybody see? Does anybody even know she's going down today? Under the shadow of our steeple with all the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me. Does anybody hear her? Does anybody see? He is running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Folks, the love that is ours in Christ is powerful. And it is transformative. We've looked at its description and its promise. And I hope and I pray that today you will never be satisfied with anything less than all the love God wants 
you to know and share. I know it's ideal, folks. I know that nobody lives 100% of time with this kind of love. There's only been one individual ever on this earth who loved this way without any fault, and that was Jesus. But it's the goal he sets before us. It's the challenge that he has given us. This morning, if the description sounds very much unlike what you know, if the promises sound too good to be true, I invite you to come and pray that God will truly fill your heart with an amazing love. And I'm here to pray with you if you like. But here at the altar or where you sit today, she'll know a few more that we got to get a chance to talk with. If you realize that's not the love I've been showing. If today you want to say, God, forgive me and start this work in my heart, I would love to pray with you, like I said, but here at the altar, if you will, or where you're at. Today, will you ask God as honestly as you know how? Lord, I want to love you. And I want my love to reflect the true nature. Would you stand? Give you an opportunity. Pray where you're at or pray down here. But today, folks, this is what the world isn't seeing. This is what we are not showing. We need to take a stand for love.